Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing The Perks of Loving a Wallflower by Erica Ridley. So this was just published in 2021 and is the second in the Wild Winchester series. And full disclosure, we did receive an advanced reader copy from NetGalley. You may remember the first in the series um, that came out know, probably about six months ago. And when we were reading it, I was so excited about Tommy uh, and about this relationship. So the fact that we got this book just makes me really happy. The Duke Heist is the name of the first book. Yeah, so uh, uh, you may recall it's about a family of orphaned siblings who were taken in by a foreign baron. Right. But they all reside in England, and the baron passed away prior to the events of the first book, and so he created a fake heir before he died. So effectively, his six orphans control all of the money and the estates and all of that good stuff. And so this book is at an, about another one of the orphans in the Baron Vanderbeen, affectionately known as Bean's cohort. Yeah. Before we talk further, let's read the book jacket and then we'll really get into it. As a master of disguise, Thomasina Winchester can be a polite young lady or a body old man. Anything to solve the case. Her latest assignment unveils a top-secret military cipher covering up an enigma that goes back centuries. But when Tommy's beautiful new client turns out to be the Ivorn lady she's secretly smitten with, more than her mission is at stake. Blue-stocking Miss Philippa York doesn't believe in love. Her, her cold heart doesn't pitter-patter when she was betrothed to a duke, nor did it break when he married someone else. All Philippa desires is to rescue her priceless manuscript and decode its clues to unmask a villain. She hates that she needs a man's help. She's so delighted to discover the clever, charming baron at her side is in fact a woman. Her cold heart? Did it just pitter-patter? I dislike this jacket. Yeah, it's, it is unfortunately not a great book jacket for what I think is a great book. Yeah, very good book. Um, so let's backtrack a little. Spoilers for the Duke heist. Yes. Thomasina met Philippa in the disguise of Great Aunt Winchester while accompanying her sister, Chloe, to Philippa's book clubs. Right. And has pretty much been smitten with her ever since. So Tommy makes Philippa's acquaintance as the Baron Vanderbeen, a disguise, just to get to know her. Mm -hmm. The fact that Philippa has this case of helping right or wrong inflicted on a friend occurs after yes. Tommy introduces herself as a new suitor and reveals herself to be a woman. Yeah. Uh, I think that there are two big issues with this book jacket. The first one is that it's, it's inaccurate as Lane points out. So the, the plot points that are mentioned in the book jacket just aren't, they're not, they don't take place chronologically and they don't, talk about this established relationship that was already there but then the other issue that this book jacket has is that it's not 
it doesn't get across the spirit of the book either. So right. it doesn't feel super whimsical. I guess really the, the big thing that it gets across is that Tommy is a master of disguise. Tommy is a girl. And this is your, so this is a lesbian romance. That's okay. Can I be really obnoxious? You, you certainly can. <laughs> this is your podcast. I feel it's very reductive for what this text is. Well, exactly. I agree. I agree. I really... Okay, no, we need to do things in order. That book jacket does not accurately describe Philippa or Tommy beyond their surface characteristics, which this book, in principle, tries so hard, hard to delve beneath. It is not whimsical. It does not accurately describe the caper they're trying to solve. Major, major shade on whoever thought this was a good jacket. Okay. As usual, we wrote our own summary of the book um, using the number of words generated by a random number. And this week, that random number was 29. Meg, take it away. Like any other debutante, Philippa needs someone to pretend court her to get men to notice her. Unlike other debutantes, she enlists her BFF's sister to do the job. Look, this book is The Duke and I, the first half of The Duke and I, right? Necessary clarification, yes. Yes. Um, Because. No one comes inside the other person unwittingly. Seed is not. I'm shocked at all in this book in this lesbian romance um but basically the trope is i'm gonna get my brother's best friend to pretend to be interested in me so that other men will court me right but reverse it i'm going to get my friend's brother right i'm gonna get my best friend's brother not best friends oh my god anyway in this book she gets her friend's sister to pretend court her. Yep. There you go. Um, that said, I like this summary a lot and think it hits the spirit more than the accuracy in a way that most of our favorite book jackets do. I want to note that Philippa's goal is not to get men to notice her. That's Philippa's mother's goal. And Philippa's happy to play along to spend more time with Tommy. Philippa's goal is to stay unattached for the remainder of the season, basically. Yes. And she does not actually believe she can do that any longer. Right. But she's not actively seeking suitors. She's actively seeking independence while maintaining her parents' favor. Right. All right, Lane, what's your uh, 29-word summary? What's a pining lady of the ton to do for her sweetheart but masquerade as a man to court her publicly while privately seducing by taking down the patriarchy? I mean, what else is there to do? Only option. Only option. Okay. Major tropes. The big trope is there is a fake relationship. And that Tommy's living under a false identity publicly. Right. loved and i feel this is the most minor of spoilers because it happens so early i loved how fast tommy came clean to philippa it made the book for me absolutely there were so many things that could have gone wrong with this book and erica ridley 
did nothing. She did nothing wrong. She did. Honestly, I think this book was like perfectly executed. So well done. Completely agree. Yeah. I mean, there were so many places where I think you're any wrong step. Quatress five. Oh, <laughs> okay. Any wrong step, this book would have been terrible. Right. Like it, you take one step the wrong way and it ruins the whole book. And she threaded the needle. It was great. Really well done. I think any criticism I could have of this book. Nope. For you would be entirely based on like heteronormativity. Yeah, absolutely. I think I completely agree with Meg's assessment that this book is perfectly executed. Mm-hmm. So, as Meg mentioned, this is a friend sibling. Yeah. I feel like the BFF sibling trope is usually about, like, oh, my God, I couldn't date a friend's brother or sister. Like, this is somebody I viewed in a sibling-y way, or oh. it caused my best friend grief. Yeah. Should I don't know. Their I, I'm, you, I just think I'm taking it all back to Bridgerton at this point, and I'm thinking of um, Penelope and Colin. <laughs> Absolutely. For all that this is a friend's sibling, there's none of the traditional angst associated with that fact. Very true. Very true. Uh, so yes, she is, as you may have guessed from the uh, title, she is a wallflower. <laughs> She's a proud blue stocking. I think it's interesting. Tommy calls Philippa out in the text. Mm-hmm. Her being blue stocking who pretends to be a wallflower for convenience. Mm-hmm. I loved that moment very much. I mean, it's yes. And it all goes back to like, I don't know. It's just such a, it, it's such a romance novel moment, right? When the, the object of your affection sees you. And I think this is, Getting a little bit ahead of myself, but Meg and I have talked before about how sometimes we get uncomfortable reviewing queer moment, uh, queer romance as heterosexual women because we don't necessarily feel that we have the context or authority to review what's sexy or believable or accurately represented. But I feel like that really resonated with me in this book, like the concept of a lover or your soulmate truly knowing you in a way no one else can. Yes. Like grand romance of your like life partner. Yes. Through so universally Mm -hmm. that I bought into this love story in a way I was not personally expecting to. Yeah. Yeah. So Tommy has a big crazy family. I mean, that's the whole premise of the series is right. her, the, the Winchesters. I mean, the series is called The Wild Winchesters. And they're absolutely absurd. And an extension of that is she has the most meddling matchmaking siblings of all time. It plays, it's played for absurdity. Like, her siblings are like, oh, we'll chaperone you on this walk. Oh, no, is it leave them unchaperoned a clock? Yes, goodbye. And that's literally the scene. I laughed out loud so many times in this book. Yeah, it's so funny. It, 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 
yes, this is a big, crazy, ridiculous family that's over the top, but is also, these are sibling relationships that actually happen. The way they make fun of Tommy, the way they push her to take extra steps, it's very, it's very authentic. One, it's so funny because, like, the Ocean's Eleven nature of everyone has different tools to participate in this crime spree obviously feels very over the top. But the underlying sibling dynamics are so relatable in a way that makes the whole premise work. Yes, that's right. There is a makeover montage. Mm -hmm. But... It's so much more fun than it usually is because Tommy is a master of disguise and you get to see her transforming herself, but then also get to see the moment she transforms Philippa for the first time. Yes. Loved it. Yes. And also it's sort of a reverse makeover montage because they're not making themselves into like the new attractive person, right? Right. (laughs) It's really good. It was really fun. So Tommy is a sad, tragic orphan. She was actually orphaned in an orphanage. And then she was adopted by a wonderful, loving, adopted family. And then her adopted father died. So she's a double tragic orphan. And similar to Chloe's story, the first book, The Duke Heist, it's not shied away from that, like, she remembers life in the orphanage. Like, she was not saved as a baby like it's very much a part of who she is and a part of her makeup understanding the difficulty other people in london are still experiencing Mm -hmm. philippa has the world's most traditional marriage-minded mama until the 95 percent mark yeah i feel like that's i i feel like part of the charm and part of why this novel works is the fact that ridley engages with these traditional romance tropes to such an extent. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it is, I mean, it's extremely traditional. And I feel like it does, like, what book did we just read where this this exact thing happened? Uh, it was the one by Vivian Laura. Lord Holt takes a bride. Yep. You know? So the fact it, I don't know, it worked for me because she's trying to do something different with these traditional tropes. It worked for me for a lot of reasons, which we will get to. And then last but not least, Philippa is the leader of a blue stocking society. They claim they're a book club. Okay. But they're not. They all have their own specific interests and goals. They are a book club in the sense that a book is named every week, but that is not the purpose of their meeting. They're Mm -hmm. intelligent women who are largely less respected than they should be in society for various reasons. It's not quite the, like, everyone is an expert in their own field thing that we've seen a lot of recently, but it's a lot of women who are overlooked on the basis of their intelligence. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. Oh my God. So Meg, overall, what'd you think? I mean, overall, I thought this book was really good. I think I already said this. I have read several Erica Ridley books, so not just the Duke Heist, not just the first one in the series. I've read some others of hers. This is by far the best book I've ever read written by Erica Ridley. She really commits to her premise, and she pulls it off, and I loved it. I've liked the other Erica Ridley's 
I've read. I'm, I'm not going to commit to how many because I don't remember because I'm bad at this, unlike Meg. But I thought that's a perfectly accurate statement. Like she bought into this so whole, so wholeheartedly. Again, this is a perfectly executed concept. Yeah. And I th- I've already talked about this, but I, for me, part of the reason that this worked was that she engaged with these the most traditional of romance tropes and just twisted them just enough to make it perfect. So like, yeah, this is the book where you, you're like, oh, let's do, let's have a fake courtship to get my mother off my back. But, oh no, I'm catching feelings for you, <laughs> right? Absolutely. I also think by extension of that, Tommy is not having an identity crisis in this book. Mm-hmm. Tommy is also not anachronistically describing the person and the sexuality that she knows she has. Mm-hmm. That was probably very ineloquent, but I, I think I really respected that about the book. Like she managed to give Tommy this self-actualized character that I understood as a modern reader without Tommy feeling anachronistically modern in her self-identity. So, I, I mean, I think an example of this is that throughout, Tommy refers to herself with female pronouns. Um, even though she does describe feelings sometimes like she's not not just a woman. She really, she describes feeling like non-binary, right? Yes. So she doesn't use those terms. She doesn't say, you need to use different pronouns for me. Um, when she dresses as a man, she does use male pronouns, but for her, that's taking on a different identity. And I think it was also interesting in the context of Philippa, because she describes herself as feeling largely asexual in her life up to the moment of meeting Tommy without ever using that terminology. And she specifically describes not being attracted to Tommy because of her femininity. Mm Mm-hmm but being attracted to the totality of Tommy, including her masculinity. And so I thought all of that, and especially with Philippa, confronting the idea of not being heterosexual or not waiting for that marriage to a man that would satisfy her any longer. Like it just, it really worked for me as believable without being angsty. Yeah. I think that was the greatest strength of this book that I never felt brought down by the difficulties these characters were experiencing confronting gender identity and sexuality in an era that wouldn't have accepted it yes that's one of the things that I find difficult when I'm reading a queer historical romance because okay first of all you know that the happily ever after is not going to be the traditional wedding bell whatever right which I don't need but when you're reading a historical romance that's not going to happen right I have a lot to say on that topic at the end. Okay. So there's that. Um, And so when you go into reading a queer historical, I think you go in, at least I go in a little bit nervous because I'm always worried, as Lane said, that it's going to turn into a real angst fest. And yeah, I'm going to, even if they end up together, and they will, they end up together happily ever after. Spoiler alert. (laughs) 
there are going to be parts that are going to be really like, like Lane said, like real downers, which I'm not knocking, but I'm just saying for myself as a romance reader who reads these to feel like lighthearted and happy, it can be a difficult prospect. Yeah, I just, I thought this was so well executed. Additionally, as we mentioned, Tommy is masquerading as Baron Vanderbeen's heir. And the as new, we learned- The new Baron Vanderbeen. And as we learned in the first book, that person doesn't exist. He's a fiction created to allow the six adopted children to have complete independence. Uh, there was an easy solution. Yep. Tommy was successfully masquerading as the new Baron Vanderbeen. And I thought the way that was addressed throughout the text and resolved made me very satisfied. I completely agree with you. I, I don't think I would have been like, I thought things were going to end up one way. I really thought the ending of the book was going to be resolved in a different way. I don't think I would have hated it, but I, it would not have been as good as what, as the direction that really eventually does take this. I completely agree. I want to say like, so this is not a criticism and this is what I want to say about the concept of happily ever after as applies to this text. Mm-hmm. The big fight, the last fight, the last conflict that Tommy and Philippa have is about Philippa trying to find a way for their relationship to fit the mold expected of her in modern society. Mm -hmm. And Tommy feeling like trying to make Tommy the entity fit into modern society is a rejection of who she is. And Philippa's grand realization is effectively about what she was asking wasn't a true compromise at all. It was her trying to find a way to kind of get her, have her cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. And they resolve their romantic conflict. But at the end of the day, when Philippa does assert herself, for all that there are nominal consequences societally, she really doesn't experience any of them. She doesn't have to give up her relationship with her parents. She doesn't have to give up her relationship with her friends. While some of their parents may reject her, they intend to figure out a way to maintain a relationship with her regardless. And in in fact, her father seems to gain respect for her in her asserting her independence and her, screw it, I'm going to be a spinster. Again, she is not going to be a spinster. She is going to end up with Tommy. And so I liked that, as Meg stated, you know you're not going to get the traditional happily ever after of wedding bells. But I thought, to a degree, this was better. Like, do I think it's realistic that Philippa as a character would have to give up nothing to gain the independence she'd always wanted? Absolutely not. But is her happily ever after getting to live the life she chooses while maintaining the respect, at least, of her parents and other loved ones? Yes. So I think Philippa absolutely got her happily ever after 
more than even marriage to Tommy would have gotten her because she got to be accepted for who she was in the sense of accepted as a spinster, not a lesbian. Yeah. Or not a pan person or not whatever modern label one would attribute to Philippa. But I thought that was more authentically, truly a happily ever after. Because her and Tommy living alone in isolation in the countryside would not have been Philippa's happily ever after. It it was it truly was like an all encompassing. If if you read romance for the fantasy of a woman uh, getting what she wants and deserves, then this will fit the bill for you. But not without any consequences whatsoever. Right, but I I mean the consequences that truly matter to her. It was great. It, it, it was, was just so good. It was just really good. And I was just, again, so impressed. I don't know how many times I can say the same thing. But yeah, it was great. Anything else you want to cover in quality? I, I think we've covered it. Did anything offend you, upset you? Did anything require a content or a trigger warning? No. I mean, there. <laughs> I guess I guess a content warning might be that there there is a background story so there is a nominal plot other than their uh relationship and that is about a man taking credit for a woman's work but i'm gonna be honest i don't think that really needs a content warning or a trigger warning like general misogyny of the era you know i got nothing yeah if you're gonna read historical romance i think you need to be expected for some general historical misogyny you know Unfortunately, truth, and this, like, yeah, Tommy was an orphan who was sort of incidentally starved. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But that's not described in, like, upsetting detail. Right. And there's no sexual harassment. There's no rape. There's no consent is always handled really well. Paramount. Yeah, and I wouldn't say... I know we had a book recently where we described the trigger warning as accurately representing the era. And I don't think that happens here. Like this is not a deeply accurate depiction of the era in England, but I I think what Meg said is absolutely right. Like, yeah, there's some misogyny and patriarchy and expectation that daughters marry for clout. Right. Right. So basically, it's a historical romance. You're reading, you are reading it. This is still a historical romance. You're not, if, if like those things upset you, this is not your genre. Yeah. Okay, let's broach this next topic. So I, I don't, let's talk about sexiness. Oh, yeah. All right, again, disclaimer we are two straight ladies talking about a queer romance. I found a lot of Philippa's, I found Philippa really relatable. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. As someone who often, I'm more often attracted to people I know well. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I like looking at a person holistically. So, like, if you're a disgusting person, or if I don't know you at all, the fact that you're gorgeous is not going to make me want to sleep with you in and of itself. Um, so I found Philippa's interest, blossoming interest in Tommy, like interesting and relatable. And especially because a lot of Philippa's 
descriptions were looking at her muscle thighs. And that worked for me. While the sex scenes themselves were a little bit beyond relatable for me, a lot of their dynamic outside of the actual sex scenes themselves still really worked for me. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I cannot disagree with you there because I, <laughs> I think that was tough too. Because I would, I would be like swept up in the moment, and then I'd be like, wait, wait, what did I just read? You know. But I think Tommy as a character's name was a very deliberate choice. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that Erica Ripley is trying to make a point here about human sexuality at all or anything. Like, is what it is, but. I felt like for all that, two women having sex is not necessarily my cup of tea from an erotica standpoint. I bought these characters. I bought the romance. I bought the heat between them. I understood their emotional attachment to one another, which made the sex more interesting. Yeah. I I would say... This was was explicit. Exactly. I was going to say, I will, I will say that Ridley follows through on what she set up. She sets it up, she pulls it off. And I think it's great. I don't think, I think this is a great book. I don't think I would think it was as good if those explicit scenes hadn't been there. Even if I didn't particularly find them arousing. I have one criticism of the sexiness. Mm Mm-hmm. My sister and I are good friends. Okay. I've known her husband for many, many years. Mm -hmm. They would get in shitty college fights, and I would let him back in the house against her explicit instructions. Mm -hmm. If they ever, like, actually started to initiate a sexual encounter in front of me, I think I'd die. (laughs) And I think I'd rather die than do that in front of her. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not saying like basic PDA. Tommy and Philippa are in a love seat that Tommy associates with one sister while her four other siblings are in the room talking to them and they somehow manage to canoodle. Is something wrong with me? I don't know. I don't know, Lane. You, they're not. Related by blood. I don't think that makes a big difference. (laughs) Imagine it being a room filled with your closest friends then, if you want to make that argument. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if if you're watching a movie and the lights are down low. No, and this is also not like two friends going out to a bar and taking two guys home. And you're like having some beers in the kitchen and you both kind of get started and then you bring them to separate rooms. This is like fully, everyone else is just having family time in the parlor and the two of them are kind of going at it. Oh my God. I just, I, I'm wondering how many more situations we can dream up, you know, <laughs> that would be like, okay. <laughs> no, just like not involving making out in front of a close family member. I don't know. Look. Let's just say that there are explicit scenes, that they consummate their relationship, that I think it was very important to the story that that happened. 
And I'm glad it was on the page. Um, and I completely bought their attraction. Yeah. One another on both a romantic and a sexual level. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and you can check us out on Instagram and Goodreads at Plotris. And we also have a WordPress site with a full episode backlog if you want to sort it in a way that makes sense. Thanks so much for listening.